Uh, we're in a series right now. We're landing the plane in this series called Listen. And it's been, uh, been an exciting season. Uh, hopefully you have enjoyed it. We've been talking about all the ways that, uh, that we hear from God. And kind of this whole series launched out of uh, um, a series that we, we picked up from Mariner Church, which is a, 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 the church where we got the Rooted program from. And it kind of sparked some things. And then uh, this passage in John, John 10, 27, where Jesus is articulating uh, how we hear from him. And he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. He says, my sheep, that's us. And we open with a conversation about uh, how totally awesome it is to be a sheep because really um, sheep don't have a lot of redeeming qualities, but they can listen and obey. And that's our, uh, <laughs> our skill set that Jesus recognizes that we have. And so uh, we talked about how we're his sheep, how we do listen to his voice. And then we talked about how he knows us and how incredible it is that he knows us. And for some of us, it's terrifying to think that the God of the universe actually knows us. And for some of us, it's incredibly comforting because we're so desperate to just know that somebody knows us. God, does anyone know us? And he's saying, yes, you hear my voice. I know you, so come and follow me. And that's been kind of the, uh, the, the, the entire launching pad of this message. And so this series, and we talked about how a lot of times we ignore voices if we hear them all the time, but nobody really ignores a text. Even right now, I know your phones are on because you were all on Facebook. And so there's a chance you might get a text. And if you got a text right now, you would kind of slyly go like this and you would look and see if it was important or not. You would read it and you would slip it back into your pocket or you would not care at all and you'd just pull it out and your face would glow blue for a second like it does at the movie theaters when you do the same thing. <laughs> and you would respond because people don't ignore text messages. And God said, that's a great way to communicate. So I'm gonna send you one. And every day you have access to a text message. And you can receive a word from me and hear from me every day. And we talked about the power of God's text messages. And then last week we talked about the mystery of the Holy Spirit. And how the Holy Spirit's desire is to guide us, to lead us, and his kindness towards us, recognizing that we can't bear it all right now, but we can take a step towards him and his kindness and helping us and guiding us and directing us. How many of you set an appointment with the Holy Spirit this week? A couple of you. A couple of you. How many of you need to go and still do that? Yeah, the rest of you. <laughs> if you didn't hear last week, you can go, uh, you can catch the podcast. But uh, we set Holy Spirit appointments this week to train ourselves to hear from the Holy Spirit. And so hopefully you got a chance to do that and dive in. And then today I want to talk about something that is really close to my heart. And it's how we hear from God when we all get together. And oftentimes God's spoken to me in large group settings. I don't know about you. For about 15 years I did youth ministry. And I love youth ministry. Um, I love just the, uh, I love the ability to rally a group of teenagers who still believe there's anything is possible. They haven't been jaded by some of the things and the weight of some of the responsibilities. They're still rebellious and believing they can break through and do anything. And we go to places, we go to camps and we go to events and they get outside of their normal pressure points, the normal things that are feeding their minds and they give that time over together to hearing from God. And then this thing seems to always happen. The Holy Spirit seems to speak. 
And there's something powerful about when we get together in large settings. And I can remember in my life, the first time God ever spoke to me was at a camp. And I was surrounded by people who were all pressing in, trying to hear from God. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, called me by name, challenged me, said, go ahead. It's okay to, it's okay to not believe it all right now, but will you give me a chance? And I was like, all right, I dare you. I stepped down in faith and trusted God. And it happened because we came together. I remember the first time someone else prayed for me and the thing they prayed for, there's no way they could have known, come on now, that that was the thing I was going through. But they said, I just, Mike, I just gotta, I, I wanna pray for you. Is there, is, you know, I don't know if I'm hearing the Holy Spirit correctly or not. So this could be way off, but I just want you to hear me say, because I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying this, that you need to knock that off. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> the first time the Holy Spirit read my mail through someone else. There's power when we get together. I remember the first time that I could really remember a message on a Sunday, right? Come on. How many of these things do you really remember? You know how hard I work on these things that you forget, <laughs> right? Here's the, meta here's the picture of it, though, right? It's like this. It's like you work really hard on dinner. Come on, somebody. And you eat it, and it's great. It's not like three weeks later you go, yeah, man, three weeks ago on Tuesday night, that was the dinner for me, and I remember all the details. You just knew you were hungry and you needed it at the time, and it was by the grace of God that your needs were met, and it was awesome. And Sunday works that way. I'm cooking steak for you if I can. I can't cook it in real life, so this is what I got. But I remember the first time the Holy Spirit really spoke to me. God spoke to me in a message. I remember exactly what the message was about. We were talking about Peter, come on now, getting out of the boat and walking on water. And I remember thinking, oh, that loser. He got out on the water and he sank because he took his eyes off Jesus. And I remember thinking, oh, Peter, he must be the guy. He's always the guy that messes up. And then suddenly in the midst of that, God had just like a picture of, of just speaking right to me. I don't know if it was, I don't even remember if the pastor said this or not. I just remember being in the room, hearing the message and thinking, how incredible is it that Peter had the guts, guts wasn't the word I used in my head at that time. He had the, the guts to get out of the boat. And that 11 other guys were in the boat and their story wasn't nearly as cool as his story. And I wanted to be one of the guys that got out of the boat. And even if I sank and even if I fell and even if I didn't get it perfect, I would have a story of the time I had the courage to get out of the boat and move towards Jesus. That happened because a, a, a group like this setting and I was hearing the word of God and I was challenged. And there's something incredibly powerful when we come together in moments like this and hear from God. Now, listen, I hope you all listen to the podcast and things when you, when you miss. And I am okay with you missing. But there's something powerful about being in the room that you miss when you're not in the room. I remember the first time God spoke to me in a small group. It was just me and a few other teenage guys. And we were sitting in a, in a half circle and we were supposed to talk about something spiritual before we went and played Nintendo. That's how small groups worked for me back then. 30 minutes of trying to get us to sit still and have an honest moment and then an hour and a half of Super Tecmo Bowl and Bo Jackson. Come on. And so uh, I remember sitting in this, just this small group 
and I was next to somebody, and they were telling their story, and all of a sudden, I started thinking about my story, and the Holy Spirit just like, boom, broke, and I shared a part of my story. I never thought I could share, but, and, and, and God broke some things in me in this group of teenage, untrustworthy teenage boys, I thought at that point, but God created something trustworthy, and some of those guys are my deepest friends to this day, because we went through life together. As a teenager, I remember, you know, this week, uh, uh, some of the small group stuff launched, launched all of it should have launched. Uh, Rooted is happening tonight. If, you, if you're still like, I don't know why I haven't got, uh, come to Rooted tonight, just start there. Even if you didn't sign up, I got extra books. We'll make it work. Upstairs, six o'clock. Anyways, I got to say that because some of you are going to, like, you're going to hate this message if you're not plugged in at all. Because it's going to be like, oh, here we go. He's just, trying to, he's just trying to lean into me to get plugged in. And yes, full disclosure, I am trying to lean into you to get plugged in. Why? Because I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us when we plug in together. And we need each other to do that. And I remember uh, uh, sitting with a group of guys uh, doing devotions and just, uh, we were just reading. And I remember I read a passage and I just like, I got nothing. And then someone else read and they got something amazing. And when they shared, I was like, that's for me. And I missed it. I read the text message and I couldn't get it, but they read it and got it. And when they shared it with me, it boom, changed everything. Why? Because it's power when we get together. I remember having to make a big decision. Come on now, big decision time. We talked a little bit about last week about we, we really want to hear from the Holy Spirit when it's big decision time. So we try to teach ourselves how to hear from the Holy Spirit like every six months or so. Right, every year, year and a half, when big decisions happen. And it was big decision time. And I went to my small group of guys and I talked to them and they knew me and they were in my world and they had wisdom that I didn't have. Some of you have a group of people that you go to when it's big decision time and can I be honest with you? They don't have wisdom. You're like, that's my person. They've been my person since junior high. That's great. They should be your person and your friend. But you gotta get around some people with some wisdom. You gotta look at the life that they've lived and the way God's interacted with them and the places where they've grown and go, yeah, do I want some of that for me? And God's moved through, come on now, the body time and time and time and time again to speak to me, used me to speak to others. And that's kind of how this whole thing works. So we can't conclude a series on listening without talking about how God speaks to us when we all get together in services, and small groups, relationally connecting with one another. This is why this is so important. If you have your Bibles, you can jump ahead of me. I'm going to get to Acts 15 in just a moment. And I want to talk about this giant big decision because right off the bat, the church breaks out in the book of Acts. And remember last week we talked about it wasn't uncommon for sometimes even the same prophet to hear from the Holy Spirit and then hear nothing for 20, 30, 40 years. And suddenly Jesus comes and the veil is torn and the presence of the Holy Spirit is there and they have access to the, to the voice of God. And the church is kind of flexing its muscles, learning how in the world do we hear from God? And they run into an incredible tension in Acts chapter 15 and they have to figure out how together to come together and hear from God. As you're working your way over there, I want you to see that this became common practice for them. If you, um, if you look on the screen, I'll show you these couple verses. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I want you to just see some examples. They came together, they prayed, and the Holy Spirit showed up and they had boldness and they were able to say what God wanted for them in that environment. In Acts chapter 13, uh, verse two, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, come on now, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is the church coming together, trying to get direction from the Holy Spirit in, in group settings, hearing God, getting on the same page with the Holy Spirit, and then making decisions about the future of the church and about their, their strategy for reaching people together. You got a taste of this. Some of you who've been journeying with us for a little while, as we've been kind of uh, 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 rolling and building momentum towards, uh, towards the, the relaunch 2.0 uh, of our church, we've been coming together and doing prayer nights and trying to hear from the Holy Spirit. We've fasted and we've prayed. We've planned together. We've talked about it. So if you feel like you're on the outside and you're not sure of the information, it's because you haven't come to those places to hear the Holy Spirit with us and move in that direction. And I'm going to continue in this room to give you more and more of that as we move towards where God has called us. And so this message, I've called it uh, Better Together because that is one of the values of our church moving forward. That it is better when we do this thing together. Everywhere through the scriptures, there is a picture that God looks down from heaven to the garden. He's created man. No sin at all exists on planet earth. And he goes, it's not good for man to be alone. It's better if he's in community, if he's got some people around him. And so here comes the church it's born in Acts chapter 2. It explodes. There's 2,000 people get saved. And then in Acts chapter 3, 3,000 men get saved. And so we don't know how many women and children were in there. There's somewhere between five and eight or 10,000 people. And if you don't like mega church, then you don't like the early church because they were big right off the bat. And then they broke down into smaller groups. And they sent out and they reached people. I'm just saying God uses big, he uses small, he uses every version, incarnation of the church. And the church explodes. And so then we see them start learning how to hear from the Holy Spirit. And, and they send off the first missionaries, Acts chapter 13. They send Paul and Barnabas off and they go on this whirlwind tour into other cultures and they start reaching people and the Holy Spirit shows up and people start receiving the Holy Spirit, trusting God and getting saved. And it's messy. You know, when, when people first give their heart to Jesus, they're messy. When people have given their heart to Jesus and that's been a long time, they're still pretty messy. So if you're offended at messy, you're in the wrong place because we're messy. It's just how it is. We're people and we love God and we do our best. And you're going to see two messy groups, a messy group that has a lot of history with God, a little history with Jesus, and a messy group that has no history with God and has just met Jesus. And they collide in Acts chapter 15. I got to be honest with you. Acts chapter 15 is one of my favorite passages of scripture. I've never preached it before. And so I'm excited to see how, how much I learn as we walk through the, the text together, how much I've learned. And, uh, and I'll probably preach this over and over again until I feel like I get it right. So I'm just being real with you because I'm messy and we're figuring it out. 
But in Acts chapter 15, I got to lay it out for you. First of all, it takes place in a place called Antioch, and then eventually it moves down to Jerusalem. Antioch is a significant place. Antioch is the place where Christians were first called Christians. If you didn't know that, we didn't call ourselves Christians. That wasn't like, a, I'm a Christ follower of Christians. Yeah, we like that. Awesome. We got a banner, right? Uh, no, that's not how that went at all. We were just disciples, followers of the way, followers of Jesus. And uh, you know how like the, the, there's always a group of cool kids and they get to name the other groups, right? You're going to be the nerds. You're going to be the jocks. You're going to be the, right? You're going to be the preps. You're going to be the millennials. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> right? There's always some group in power and they get to name all the other groups, right? And so in Acts, you had this dominant kind of Greek culture. It's up, uh, it's up uh, basically in what is Syria now, uh, in Antioch, I'm sorry. Uh, and they decide that this group of what they think are just kind of weirdos who follow this guy that they say is the Christ, they're gonna call them little Christs. And they call them Christians. And so this name that was supposed to be like a mocking name, you know how that happens sometimes? Like you call us all the nerds and we're like, nerd power. And we just embrace the identity. <laughs> like you thought it was gonna mock us, but we found all the redemptive powers of it. And we're like, yes, that's what happens in Antioch, right? And so, uh, so this church breaks out in Antioch. And remember the church starts in Jerusalem and they send groups all over the place. And, and, uh, and this, this large contingent goes to Antioch. It's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. So it's about a 20 day journey journey for them to get up uh, to Antioch. And it keeps saying down in the scriptures, and it's because it's, uh, it's down in the topography, even though it's north, so that can be a little bit con confusing. They're going north, but they're going downhill. So they go, they go down to Antioch, and this church explodes. And while that's exploding, uh, out of Jerusalem go Paul and Barnabas, and they're going community to community to community, and they're just talking about Jesus. And they're like, you should check out Jesus. And they're like, why would we check out Jesus? Well, because it's free. Like, what do you mean it's free? God's grace is free. He paid the price for you and for me so you can be redeemed. You can be made new. You can be a follower of Jesus. It's available to you. And they're just saying the good news. And people are like, yeah, that sounds way better than what I was gonna do. And so they start, they start giving Jesus a chance and then the Holy Spirit shows up and bam, there's new believers and it's exploding. And sometimes when they're preaching, people get mad at them and chuck rocks at them. Like there's, there's a lot going on, okay? So they've been traveling. They've been sharing the gospel. Antioch has exploded as kind of, for the next hundred years, it's gonna be the hub of the church once kind of the, the stuff in Jerusalem after 80, 70 doesn't go well. Antioch's gonna be this hub of the church. And they do this missionary journey. They kind of go around this way. And this group went up here and plants a church in Antioch, which is the hub. And they show up, Paul and Barnabas show up in Antioch at what is the new hub of their faith, the new kind of main mother church. And it's becoming that. And they start telling stories. Dude, this has been awesome. Everywhere we go, the Holy Spirit has been kind. He doesn't care if you're a Gentile. He doesn't care if you're a Jew. He doesn't care if you have a Samaritan background. He just loves people and all kinds of different people are getting saved. And this other group goes, wait a second. That's not how this works at all. If you want to be a follower of Christ, you're going to have to behave like a follower of Christ. Come on now. And two issues get into the church right from the beginning that the church has been fighting ever since. Legalism, racism, right off the bat. You gotta look like me, behave like me, do what I do. You wanna be an insider instead of an outsider? You gotta do it this way. And a fight breaks out and the stakes are everything. So I'm gonna walk you through the fight. 
And let's see if we can't pick up the way the Holy Spirit speaks to a group of people who have to make a huge decision. I'm in Acts chapter 15. I'll start in verse 1. It says, certain people came, from, came down from Judea to Antioch. Remember, that's north. Excuse me, but downhill. And they were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This is a huge deal. Gentlemen, there's going to be some fellows in this picture here who are going to say, hon, if you want to go to church, fine. But I ain't signing up for that. <laughs> I just want you to be aware. This is a really big deal. Verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas, listen to this, into sharp dispute and debate with them. This is the Bible's very nice way of saying they were getting it on. They were fighting. They were angry. It was like, I don't know if you watched the UFC, it was like after the fight last night. Not the actual fight, it was after the fight. It's mayhem. They're jumping into the stands. Guys, you don't know that they're supposed to be in the fight. Like, it is a brutal fight. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem, which is back south, and see the apostles and elders about this question. So the main leaders of the church are still in Jerusalem. The hub of the church is about to become Antioch. It's been planted, but the disciples are still rooted in Jerusalem. They're managing this mega church that's broken out and they're sending teams away. Um, in the meantime, James, uh, the brother of John has been killed. So they are down one disciple, but James, the brother of Jesus has actually become the leader of the church. James that wrote, uh, uh, that wrote uh, the book of James has actually become the kind of the, the leader, the head voice of the church. So Paul and Barnabas, they hear this. They, you kind of imagine how discouraging this must be. They've been the first missionaries, the first people to go into different cultures and different places where no one has heard about Jesus at all and, and, and share that there is this absolutely free gift that God wants to give, that he's paid the price so that you don't have to perform your way into heaven. And all you have to do is accept that it's by grace that you get saved, not from works so that no one can boast. And people's hearts are turning towards God and it's amazing. And then they get back to the home church, the new home church location, and they show up. And this group that came from their home church, the same place they came from, it's teaching, yeah, that's cool, but really salvation is by surgery. <laughs> this is an absolute deal breaker for them. And so they're losing their minds. They're like all these new house churches they've set up, all these small groups, all these big churches that they've set up. All of them have been getting one message that Jesus paid it all. And suddenly the message is shifting He's paid it all, but you also have to do this. A performance-based relationship with God. Whoo, that's tough. And we know that creeps into the church. You know it does. It creeps into all of our mindsets. I'm doing this. You need to do this. I'm doing this. God spoke to me that I need to do this. And so he must be speaking to you that you need to do the same thing. That's why last week was so important when we talked about how Jesus said, you can't handle all of this at once. The Holy Spirit's gonna guide you. The Holy Spirit's gonna direct you. As you're on a journey with him, he'll convict you of sin if there's things you gotta deal with. He will take care of that. It's his job. You don't put that yoke on somebody. Let him do it. 
So they're ticked. They're in a fight. And it says, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up, which is south to Jerusalem, and see the apostles and elders. So basically, the church is like, we got to get these guys out of here. And they're like, we're fired up. We're going to see dad, right? They're going to the, to the, to the, to the, uh, to the mother church, right? And then some of those believers are going with them. So there's this little convoy. I can imagine Paul and Barnabas have been in all this work. And they're finally like, they're supposed to be like ititerating how missionaries, they get a break. And instead of a break, they get chaos, and they're like, no stinking way. So they go back. Verse three, says the church sent them on their way. They're like, get out of here. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they kept telling, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. So this group of believers come with them. And as they're going on this journey, they keep telling everyone around them, like, listen, God has been so gracious to people who are nothing like us. And they're like, wow, that's awesome. I'm so surprised that God's been that nice and that kind. Listen, if you hear that people that are nothing like you, who don't think like you, look like you, behave like you, if you hear that people like that are being treated kindly by Jesus and that bothers you, you've missed the heart of Jesus. They have the right response here. It makes them very glad. It should make you glad wait a second, they're not behaving right. I don't like the way they do this. And I've read their Facebook posts, whatever it is. And if you're fired up about that and not fired up about the fact that the Holy Spirit's got a hold of them and that Jesus is being kind to them just like he was to being kind to you and is being kind to you, you've missed the whole thing. So they're marching. Remember, they got about a 20-day march south, but it's uphill now. And as they're talking, they're just like, let me tell you a good story about this crazy group of people that we were with and they're heathens and they didn't look like us and they didn't have our customs and they weren't, they weren't behaving the way we used to behave and have always behaved, but God was kind towards them. And the believers that are with them are like, well, that's kind of awesome. That's awesome. Verse four, they get to Jerusalem. It says, and they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God has done through them. Now there's something here just about recognizing it's important that the church gets together or how do we hear the stories? How do we get the testimonies? How do we know all the things God's doing? One of the things that drives me crazy, it's so hard to do, even in a church this size, it's hard to let you guys know all the awesome stuff that's going on. And so it'd be really easy sometimes to feel like, oh, I don't really know what the church is doing. And you're like, ah, oh, show up. Listen, we're trying to tell you. These are all the cool things that are going on. God's doing crazy stuff in our community. People are giving their heart to Jesus. People are getting baptized. Lives are being changed. It's amazing. So the church is all excited about it. They don't have Twitter or anything, so I have to actually tell them. Verse 5. says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, Now listen. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus is at odds with a certain group of religious people, these Pharisees. These are kind of the catalyst for Jesus' execution, death, and eventual uh, resurrection and redemptive process. But this relationship that's tense with the Pharisees is all throughout the scriptures. And then Jesus raises from the dead. And some of them see. And they got a dilemma now. There's eyewitness accounts. Some of them are here from Jerusalem. And they have seen the resurrected Jesus. And they cannot reconcile that with their former position. And so there are now Pharisees who have become Christ followers. This is good news too. 
Just like it's good news when people who are radically far away from Jesus and an absolute hot mess come to know the grace and mercy of Jesus, it is good news when people who are all bound up in legalism and tied to rules and regulations meet Jesus. We got to celebrate both things. But each of these groups have a different perspective. And each of these groups genuinely, deeply believe their perspective. And it's possible to really love someone and think that they are good and growing and recognize they have bad information and have to reconcile. It's possible for two groups, careful here, church, who are completely on other ends of the spectrum, whether it's on a moral issue, a political issue, whatever kind of issue, to both love Jesus and both be doing the best they can with the information they have based on what the Holy Spirit's doing in their life up until this point. And they can disagree and still come together and prayerfully hear the voice of God. It's possible, just saying. It's possible. Here's how I know, because they had to deal with it right off the bat. Right off the bat. So here comes this group. Where am I at? Pharisees, but they're believers. And they stand up and they're like, the Gentiles must be circumcised. Man, that is not like wear good on a t-shirt. That doesn't fit on a bumper well. Like that's a hard selling point for the church to break out with. It is. But it's just, they're adamant because this is a cultural conformity. They have to conform to our culture. They must accept the pain and earn their way in and demonstrate their loyalty. They must be circumcised and, not just circumcised, required to keep the law of Moses. Woo! Remember that law that started with 10 commandments that by the time the Pharisees were done broke out to about 613 rules? I mean, they had some rules on top of rules. When you're, I mean, there, there is debates you can, you can read in, in some ancient texts arguing of, uh, is a fig too much weight to carry on the Sabbath? Like it got into the minuscule itty bitty details as they tried to keep the rules. Listen, some of you in the room are rule followers by nature and that's good. God designed you that way. That's awesome. When you give full vent to that, it can be something that becomes really unhealthy, just like some of you are not rule followers. And that's good. God designed you to be independent, like boundary breakers. And when you give full vent to that, whoo, someone else's rules get imposed on you. That's how that ends up going. I'm just saying. So they're fighting. And this is the church. This isn't just the world. This isn't the... Senate, this isn't the Sanhedrin, this is the church. These are the Jesus people coming together saying, how are we going to deal with this? Because these new folks that are coming in, they got to play our rules. And we got rules. And we got rules to make sure you don't break the rules. Just saying. <laughs> I want to, I want to, rabbit trail here, but I'm going to be careful because I'm not that far into the text yet. But I want you to just know this happens in the church all the time. This has happened in this church since I've been here. Folks that are tied up in some rules, whatever the rule is, that they're passionately tied up in, 
feeling like, well, I feel this way. The Holy Spirit spoke this to me, and I need you to enforce this on everybody else. We've lost families over this. I've had arguments in my office. I've been across the board. We lost people. Churches split. There's, I don't know, um, so many denominations right now because they can't get past this issue, right? Breakdowns. There's like, a, I don't know, 300 different kinds of Baptists right now. It's insane. Because somewhere, someone heard something from the Holy Spirit and thought, this isn't just for me. This has got to be for you. And you have to follow the rules the way I follow the rules. Law of Moses, circumcision are out. And it's tense and it creates tension. Verse six, so the apostles and elders met and considered this question. This is a diverse group of people. This isn't just the the 11 that are left, the 10 plus Matthias. James is gone, Judas is gone. It's not just them, it's the elders, the early church. It's James, the brother of Jesus, and they're coming together and they're trying to hear God's voice as two groups of people that they love, who they know love Jesus, massively disagree on how to move forward. After much discussion, I bet. Verse seven, Peter got up and addressed them. Good old Peter. He's like, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and belief. He's like, I've been telling you this story, guys. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate. If you're a highlighter and you have your Bible out, you should probably highlight that. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. You got to remember all the biases that are in here. There's cultural biases, there's ethnic biases, there's socioeconomic biases, there's, I don't even know how you get to the slaves and freedmen that are in here biases. There are so many biases And everyone's like, who is Jesus for? Who gets Jesus? Who gets to claim Jesus? There's nothing more frustrating, come on now, when an argument about some topic pops and then someone plays the Jesus card, right? Well, Jesus feels this way about it. And you're like, I love Jesus and I disagree, so he must feel this way about it. And someone plays the Jesus card and there's this tension. Who gets to claim Jesus? On this argument, who gets to claim Jesus? We do this in political debates. We do this in personal. We do this in teams. We're both gonna pray for the victory before the game. Who's on team Jesus? (laughs) It's the Niners. Um. (laughs) And I lost the room. Come back. (laughs) But we know we always try to leverage ourselves onto team Jesus. And Peter's like, listen, he doesn't discriminate. He didn't look at race. He didn't look at gender. He didn't look at ethnicity. He didn't look at socioeconomic diversity. He didn't look at behavior in your culture. He didn't look at any of those things. He purified hearts by what? Faith. He said that's what he was looking for. And no matter what your background was, that's what triggered the entire gift. And he gave it freely to those that had faith. So Peter's like, come on, what are we doing here? Verse 10, I love this line, this is a great line. So now, uh, why are you trying to test God? By putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. He's like, can we be honest, guys? 
we don't do the law of Moses very well. Why do we want to put that back on other people? We are messing up at this all the time. Jesus would still be alive if we were doing the law of Moses well. We, we obviously forgot the don't murder part of that, right? Like we're having a hard time with the law of Moses. It's not working. There's a hangup between us and God that was broken by Jesus. And now there's a bridge instead of this chasm. And why do we want to knock that down? Peter, with a self-aware moment, <laughs> stop lying to ourselves. Verse 11, no! We believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved, just as they are. He nails it. Verse 12, then the whole assembly became silent. I love this. When's the last time two heated parties were disagreeing and they decided that maybe the best plan is we shut our mouths for a second. We've lost this ability. It's whoever talks louder last. We've missed that this is how two groups who disagree hear from God. At some point, you have to shut down the noise and listen. We lost the ability to listen. Do you know how many marriage fights I've talked to people about where I can tell within the first like 30 seconds that no one's listening? If they just started by shutting down the volume, I want to say shutting up, but I feel like some of you will judge me for that. Can I just say, if they would just shut up? All right, let's be free in here, church. Come on. They would just shut up for a second and listen and hear what's happening. They could make a better decision because they would have good information. But the problem is the other person started talking and I've already decided what they're going to say. And I already have an argument Come on now. You don't have to keep going. The whole assembly became silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul tell them about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. Guys, this only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. He can silence us and open our ears. And then verse 13. When they finished, James spoke up. Now I love this. This is James, the brother of Jesus. This is really, really huge for me because I, I love James. We did a, a, a walk through the book of James uh, earlier this year, end of last year. I can't remember exactly when. And, uh, and I love reading about James. And if you were a part of that, I actually showed you a picture from when I was in uh, uh, Israel of, uh, of the wall where he was thrown off from uh, at the top of the temple. And they eventually killed James. James was the first pastor of the church. And uh, you know, it's really, and this is a historical thing I haven't resolved. And so again, I'm telling you, I'm learning. So I'm just thinking out loud with you. But I can't figure out how Peter is always pointed at as the first, like, leader of the church, because clearly James is in charge. Like, there's no question. Like, there's no question. Like, they listen to Peter, but Peter's still Peter. He's still just like, I don't know, we do this, we do this, we do this. And James is like, listen up. So James talks. Sorry, that was free and meandering. When they finished, James speaks up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, that's Peter. He's using his, uh, his, his given name. Simon has described to us how God first intervened and chose a people for himself from the Gentiles. And he goes, the words, oh, and this is great. Then he, he's like, 
so, so much information here. I want to be careful on time. James is known as James the Wise, and uh, the pictures that they depict James of, he has really bad knees, knobby knees, because James is the guy who kneels and prays all the time, kind of that kneeling prayer model. James is the guy that, that we kind of credit with bringing that into the church, and he would kneel on these hard surfaces. He would pray, and he would pray, and he would pray. And so listen, the whole church gets together, and the person who they know who is wise goes to speak, and they shut up, and they listen. Remember earlier when I said you need someone, you need you a James in your life. Someone who spends time in prayer, who hears from God and has wisdom, who you can point to and say, yeah, they seem to be living in a way that I want my life to kind of end up like where their life has gone. And so James speaks up and the whole group shuts up and listens. If you don't have a James in your life, if you're not in a small group with a James, if you haven't met a James and have someone in your, in your life that is doing that for you, you are missing one of the key ways that God speaks through the Holy Spirit to his people. James. And he goes, hey, the words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it's written, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. It ruins, it's ruins, I'll rebuild, I'll restore it, and the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things from known from long ago. What is this that he's saying? He's quoting Amos. Some of you don't know Amos is in the Bible. He's quoting a, 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 an Old Testament prophet. You know why? Because he's checking his text messages. He's like, we got a big decision to make. The future of the culture of the church is being made in this room. We are deciding who gets Jesus. We better hear from the Holy Spirit and we better check the text. James is wise. Everyone's making a plea from their feelings. Uh-oh. And James says, let's go to the text and make sure that our feelings align with what God said is true in the text. And it does. He goes, listen, God said he's going to pour out his favor on the Gentiles. Why are we surprised by this? Why are we trying to turn him into Jews? He doesn't say he's going to turn him into Jews. He's going to pour out his favor on the Gentiles. People who are not Jews, if you don't know what a Gentile is, every not Jew. <laughs> if you are not Jewish, then the Bible would consider you a Gentile. Acts 15, 19. He goes, it's my judgment, therefore, listen, this is so beautiful, that we should not Make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. He says, we've gotten together. We've prayed. We've listened to passionate pleas from people who love God. We've shut up and listened. We've checked the text. And the best decision that we can make is let's not make this difficult for people who are coming to know Jesus. And the church makes a line in the sand that changes the course of history. Verse 20, I'm gonna read this and it kind of repeats, so I'll read a chunk and then I'll set it up. He says, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. He says, we are going to toss out circumcision. We are going to toss out becoming a Jew and behaving according to the law of Moses. But we are going to compromise. Remember when that was a thing that we could do? 
and recognize that there are a few things that are so culturally difficult for us to come together if we don't lay down our rights a little bit. We're going to ask people coming to Jesus to be respectful of just a couple of things. And they say, we're going to ask them. It's crazy the things that they were concerned about. Verse 28. Let me say it again. It says, it seemed good. Oh, this is so good. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to, this is the letter he writes, not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You're abstain from food sacrificed to, uh, to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. Farewell. That's the entire moral code of the church going forward from that point on. He says, listen, and you gotta understand the culture. A lot of the meat, that they consumed because of the idol worship that was going on was brought to these idol places of, of, and was sacrificed to idols and was dedicated to a false God. And then they would sell that meat afterwards. And the people would buy that meat and it was like, ooh, look, I got this food that was dedicated to Zeus. Maybe it'll give me superpowers. Like, I don't know. I'm not sure what they were looking for. But there was big barbecues and cookouts that were part of the worship of these other gods. And basically he's saying, don't get yourself so in, intermixed and this is why this becomes a hot topic for Paul later on. He's writing to the Corinthians. And he's like, sometimes I don't know where the food came from. So just eat it if you don't know. Don't be so paranoid that you are always worried about what the thing is. But if you do know, and then your conscience is, is, is triggered to, to avoid it, then avoid it. But if you don't know, be free. And because you just don't know, because that's the way all that meat was treated. But basically they're saying, listen, can you do us a favor? It's incredibly offensive to us to just do this thing. And God cares what we do with our bodies. Can you just care about those two things? It'll help you. I like how he says it. You'll do well to avoid those things. Let's get that part right. Farewell. Whew. When's the last time you stood in church and someone said, you know what, can you just, just, just make sure you're respecting God with your body, this gift that he's given you. Respect those boundaries. Don't give your heart and your resources to something that's been dedicated to something that's anti-God. Pull that off and you'll probably be fine. <laughs> and that's it. They make this concession. And, that's, that, and the church explodes. And people who are nothing like Jesus start meeting Jesus. And they read this list and it's not 10 commandments. It's not 613 rules. It's, hey, you know that, that meat you get at the market that, that you've been using at the cookout that you guys have been kind of like, woo. Zeus feet. It's like, let's not do that. That's really hard. And respect your body and marriage and what God designed for your, because relationships matter and it messes up. And the reason the sexual immorality is in there is not even about marriage at this point. It's because in a lot of these cultures, sex was part of their church experience and their worship experience. And there were temple prostitutes and it was just weird. And they're like, knock that off. None of that is the thing. So just get that out and don't do that. That's really where the heart of this is coming from. And it's like, get these two things right. You'll be fine. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sin. We talked about that last week. And he leads and he guides and he directs and he walks. And as we follow Jesus and we take another step, he reveals things and, he, and, and, and things that if you tried to reveal them to me here, it would break me. I wasn't ready. 
But as I got closer and nearer to Jesus and I got more comfortable hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, God was able to reveal new things to me. And I went, oh, I didn't even realize this was destroying my life. I didn't know I had an anger problem. I thought everyone talked in this volume. (laughs) Right? And then he reveals it. And you're like, oh, I got to deal with this. And you walk a little farther and he's like, you know, man, you're going to have to let go and and forgive that person. You're like, how does anyone ever forgive anything? You're like, well, you're stuck and you want to get unstuck. I want to get unstuck. Okay, well, then forgive this person. Okay, today I'm ready to try. And you get And then he moves you to the next place. And the Holy Spirit's kindness guides and directs. And he says, and as you're cruising along, don't mix up your physical stuff. And don't intentionally disrespect. And just try to figure out as you go and trust God. And the church breaks out. Now listen, I'm all over the map and I wanted to give you some tools to hear from God together. But I, I, I just want you to catch this. I want you to just believe it's possible. I want you just to believe it's possible. That moments like this and places like this, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And that it is absolutely critical moving forward for the church, our church, but the church to not abandon getting together. This is why being in a small group or life community is so important. This is why coming to church is so important. This is we can get together and we can wrestle with stuff. We can figure things out. We can figure out, like, I don't know what to do. I, I watched the news this week and I just, I just give up. And we can remember, oh, there's hope and there's a way that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and we can encourage each other. You can get to places where you're like, I'm just stuck. My marriage, I don't know how to solve this thing. And suddenly you go, oh, there's a group on Sunday night I can go to and we're walking through marriages and I can get some questions answered and I can be vulnerable and honest and get some wisdom. And the church comes together and does this thing and the Lord speaks. And we're challenged and we're changed and we're transformed. And it matters. And that's how it works. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, but I'm going I'm to cast you a vision piece before I pray. I want you to get a picture with me. And this is the first time I'm sharing it with the whole group, but I shared it a couple of places, kind of insider stuff. But, but as we prayed and tried to hear from the Holy Spirit about the future of this church and where this church is going, one of the things I've been praying... And it's been a three-year prayer journey for me. I'm, I'm just being real with you, right? It's been like a war of prayer and hearing from God and, and trying to figure out what in the world is the deal with this community, <laughs> with the South Hill out here in the Pacific Northwest and this specific place. And what is, what is the Holy Spirit trying to do here so that we can partner with him, so that we can reach people who are far from God? And this is the picture I believe God's just given us as a church and me as a pastor. And I'm, I'm not great at articulating it well. It's gonna get sharper and sharper and eventually it'll sound like an elevator speech and everyone will know it and it'll be great. But right now it's just messy and honest, okay? So here it is. I believe that there is something going on in this community where there is a, uh, I'm in a, a, a principality. There is something going on in this community that is driving people out of relationship and into isolation because the enemy of our souls wants us isolated and separated so that the only voice we're hearing, come on now, is a voice that's lying to us and separating us from one another and that the mission of the church, of this church and this community is to help bring people back from isolation and into community where there is life and there's hope 
and there is connection and God recognized that it is not good for us to be alone and we have to get that right. And, and, and my prayer as we move to, to discover church is that we would help people to discover that church isn't just something that happens on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock or 9 or 11 or whatever. It's when a group of people get together and do life together and move together towards Jesus. That's the ecclesia. That's the church that God designed and created for us. And so that's where we're going. That's going to ooze out of me. It's why I sound like a broken record when I'm talking about rooted and I'm talking about other things because I really believe that we are in a spiritual war. And people keep telling me, well, it's just because it rains here and it's dark. People just hibernate for six months. And, they, and I'm like, it is not the weather that's driving us apart. There is a spiritual battle to get us convinced that it is normal for us to break from relationship and hide away and, and, and lose the strength of the body for half of the year. That is a lie. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It is not in the scriptures. It is a distortion. It is an excuse. And we have to stand up and say that cannot be the case if we are going to accomplish what God called us to accomplish here. So I'm giving you some pieces. It's leaking out of me. It's going to leak out more and more and more as we roll kind of. And you're insiders now to kind of what the Holy Spirit's doing um, in, this, uh, in this place and in this body. Um, and I'm going to just be honest with you. If that's uncomfortable for you, fine. <laughs> I'm okay with it. I think the Holy Spirit's okay. I want that to agitate you. If you're like, oh, there's going to be one of those churches when they make us get together and do things. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You have not been bait and switched. You have the facts. This is where this thing is going. And who knows, but that we might break through and break into relationship with people who are far from Jesus. And it might get messy. And there's going to be some folks that don't behave the way we think they should behave. Come on now, church. And some of us are going to be like, ah, good people who love Jesus bound up are going to be in tension with good people who love Jesus who are too free. And we're going to have to bring them together and be the church. And if we're doing that, come on now, if we're doing that, then I think we're going to hear some, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's the whole thing. So Jesus, thank you for a church on a mission with a direction and a purpose. And I pray that you'd begin to stir into the hearts of your people a dream and a vision to reach people who are far from you who don't look and act the way we think people who follow you should look and act, <laughs> who, who don't have uh, all of the stuff together because we recognize we couldn't get all our stuff together anyways. It's just you. Give us hearts to see and, and help us to realize we are in a fight. <laughs> we're losing a fight because we don't know we're in a fight. But there's a fight. And then hanging over this neighborhood and hanging over this community and hanging over the Northwest is this lie from the enemy that it's just normal to break from community and, and go into isolation. Like somehow you are just okay with that. And it's just absolutely not within the context of your plan for us at all. So we're going to fight it. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to resist and we're going to experience your grace and your mercy and your goodness in the land of the living because that's who you are. So we say thanks, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.